0: Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. I don't know about you, but one of my least favorite things to do at the moment is grocery shopping. Regardless of when I go, there are almost always customers without masks. If you, too, are stressed out by grocery shopping, consider trying Thrive Market. Thrive Market is one of our sponsors. They're an online store that sells organic products delivered straight to your door at a discount. By shopping at Thrive, you can avoid going to the store and save money. And right now, there's a special deal for Out There listeners. You can get 25% off your first order and a free month-long trial when you go to thrivemarket.com slash outthere. That's thrivemarket.com slash out there. Have you ever had a part of you that you felt you had to keep secret? Something so deep and personal that you simply couldn't reveal it to anyone? On today's episode, we have a story about hiding About knowing that the person you are doesn't match the body you're born into. And about finally taking a leap of faith, despite all the risks. Natalia Luderman has the story. And I should note that this episode does reference an assault at one point. It comes up around minute 20, if you want to skip past it. Also, stick around at the end of the episode for some LGBTQ-affirming resources, if you need them. I'll let Natalia take it from here.
1: March of 2017 finds Erin Parisi sitting on an airplane. She's 25 hours from arriving in Tanzania. At the airport, she knows there will be a fingerprint system that could flag her for having two identities. She's debating whether or not it's safe to enter the restroom during her layover. Three days earlier, she was assaulted in her own neighborhood. And when she does finally arrive, the man who will be meeting her at the airport thinks she'll be the cousin of the person she used to be. Climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, where Erin is headed, and which stands at more than 19,000 feet, is hardly supposed to be a walk in the park. The summit attempt can take up to a week of climbing at grueling altitudes with finicky weather conditions. But the things Erin is truly worried about start well before she even reaches the base of the mountain. Because Erin has already been here. She has already summited Kilimanjaro before. Last time though, six years earlier, she was presenting to the world as a man. The question of Erin's gender had been an internal struggle for her since she was six years old. Even then, before she really had the words to describe it, she understood that she had been identified as a boy at birth, but that the description and the accompanying way people treated her just didn't fit. Erin was a girl. But as surely as she understood that she was a girl, Erin was beginning to realize that she didn't have control over her own gender expression. She was, after all, growing up in a house with four brothers, in a small town with small town gossip. She used to mow lawns to make some money and then ride her bike two towns over to secretly buy makeup and clothes that allowed her to feel like herself. And for years, it was only in these small, stolen pockets of time that she allowed herself to just be a girl given
2: what I saw about how trans people or how difference was treated in my town I knew that presenting as um and, and and fully manifesting you know a female identity as a as a child or teenager
1: or preteenager was not a possibility and it's no wonder she felt that way The 80s brought whispered comments from her neighbors surrounding the AIDS epidemic and the LGBT community. Somebody's cousin or brother who had moved to New York and wasn't mentioned anymore. And then came Hollywood of the 90s.
2: The narrative that was built in Hollywood was that, you know, it was, you know, you had this this Ace Ventura where, like, I, re- I remember this scene in Ace Ventura. You know, it was everybody's favorite movie in my high school. It came out. Everybody thought it was hilarious. Jim Carrey was huge, and, you know he outs the trans woman in the end of the movie by ripping her clothes off in front of like all of the, the whole police of the, you know, there's like the Miami Dade police department, or the Fort Lauderdale police department or something. And he just tears her clothes off in front of everybody and exposes her body. And, you know, this is something that I think would be terrifying for any person on earth, but for a trans person, you know, again, that's, that's extraordinarily, um, traumatizing to see that, like, you know, and I'm, I'm hiding, you know, this is, this is something I'm seeing from a a position of hiding. And, uh, and, you know, everybody in the room pukes because they all kissed her. So, you know, not only am I hiding, I'm realizing that I need to hide because the most disgusting thing that can happen is you would possibly come in contact um, and, and kiss a a trans woman. Um, And if you're outed as a trans woman, this is what it looks like.
1: So she put off coming out. She put off telling her friends and family that what they were seeing on the outside, this man they thought they knew, didn't match who she really was.
2: My notion was, if I can put this off one more day, I'll, I can avoid it. And uh, truthfully, You can't. You can never avoid yourself. You can't avoid who you are. So, in this 30-year time frame, um, between kind of when I knew what was going on and when I finally came out, you, I I tried lots of things. I think um, to to substitute for a genuine, you know, self um, expressive experience. So, what I was doing was, you know, a lot of times, you know. You're, I would kind of embrace that, just like if if I can have some time to myself to manifest and be myself and be seen and and see myself, then that's enough. And and some days it was, and some weeks it was, and and, and other times it wasn't. I was always trying to find a way to, um, you know, kind of solve my soul and and put you know some sort of. Um, you know, just find a way to hide just a little bit longer. And I, 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 I
1: guess I lasted three decades, um, you know, it was hard. In those three decades though, Erin built a life, even if it was a life in a man's body. She graduated college. She found mountaineering and outdoor sports. She moved to Colorado where she could have access to the mountains that let her climb and bike and explore. She met a woman she really liked and got married. Erin built herself the life that society told her she should have. I had the American dream.
2: Um, I was married to um, a prominent doctor in Denver. Um, I was working, um, you know, as you know, as a manager at a Fortune 500 company. I had developed lots of kind of the um, the relationships. I think that you see like in the outdoor world, kind of the the classic. Um, you know, bro kind of culture, if you will, kind of the, 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 you know, Craig, you know, hanging out at the Craig, you know, drinking beers after you're finished mountain biking, that, you know, going hard, playing hard, that, that kind of like classic, um, maybe outdoor life experience. Um, and it just didn't fit.
1: Didn't fit, not because she didn't like the lifestyle, but because she knew she wasn't being honest with herself. Erin eventually realized that the only thing she hadn't tried, the thing she had been avoiding for so long, was publicly coming out and becoming the woman she knew she really was. But everything she had seen or read, everything she understood about the world, told her that in the process, she would lose the life and community that she'd spent so long building. Certainly, at the very least, it would have been legal at the time to be fired from her job for coming out. Protections against employment discrimination for trans people were only upheld by the Supreme Court this past June. And if she lost her job, she'd lose her health care, which right now was everything. But she just couldn't keep hiding behind a male facade anymore. She just couldn't.
2: The first thing I did was tell my, my former wife and it was an instant you know, shutdown. Um, she was not okay with it um and i i think you know in in her defense i, I, I didn't come out very <laughs> i didn't come out with any sort of great um it was hard it was hard to come out that first time um and it and that was the I mean, initial big rejection
1: They started divorce proceedings almost right away. It would be another two to three months before she felt ready to try coming out to anybody again. So the divorce became yet another secret to keep. But slowly, gradually, one person at a time, she began to tell her friends and family. And to her surprise, most of them were really supportive.
2: I really um, started to realize that I was wrong. Um, I had thought that I would lose all of these people that I loved and cared about and that they would reject me. And um, that's on me because a lot of them accepted me and they were totally, um, totally validating of my existence. And some of our friendships got stronger. Um, so a lot of our friendships changed for the better. And... um You know, ultimately, I had viewed them as somebody that might not be tolerant of me as a person and quite the opposite. They were they were the opposite. They were a source of strength. So um, I I own that a lot of the time that I it was my judgment of other people that really was detrimental to my coming out.
1: So no more hiding. From anyone. Not just close friends. Erin began her physical transition. It was a slow process. She decided she would medically transition as fast as her hair grows. Because this wasn't just trying on dresses and experimenting with secret stashes of makeup anymore. She started a regular course of hormones to help decrease her testosterone levels and increase estrogen levels. She underwent facial feminization surgery. About two years into the process, she was feeling strong and more integrated with the person she wanted to be. But one of the persistent things she still felt the most disconnected from was her voice. Even though her body had changed, her voice still had the same deep tenor as before, and that didn't feel right. So she signed up for a relatively experimental larynx procedure though it help change her vocal cords. The healing process for that surgery involved being entirely silent for a month after its completion to allow her larynx time to knit itself back together. And that's when the idea came. She was sitting in silence, unable to speak for herself, but surrounded by so much love. And looking around at all the support she was getting from her family and friends, she realized she was in a unique position to turn her story into a big, bold, transpositive statement the kind of story that she had never seen as a kid but had needed so badly
2: instead of the, the narrative that we always see which is like trans death and trans violence and trans dis, you know just like discrimination i decided that it, it, i would ch- i could change that narrative
1: before aaron transitioned she had done a lot of adventure travel and mountaineering and she wanted that back so i said you know,
2: let's climb to the highest point on every continent and show the world that I will not hide in the shadows and that I won't have my voice um, pushed into the gutters. And I'm going to proudly be seen and have my voice heard from that highest point because I believe that that's where trans people belong.
1: And so the Seven summit bid was born. Erin is going to get herself to the highest point on every continent and stand proudly waving the trans flag and prove to herself as much as anybody else that she deserved to be there. If she pulled it off, she would be the first known trans person to climb the seven summits. Nobody has ever been
2: able to climb to the highest point on every continent as a trans person. And there's
1: a reason for that. There's a lot of reasons for that. Mountaineering is an incredibly privileged endeavor One that requires huge amounts of time, money, and physical ability. And community support, which many trans people don't have. For all the challenges she had already faced and that she knew were ahead, Erin recognized that she had a lot of privileges when it came to things like class, race, and background. She was determined to put that privilege to good use though and do something meaningful with it. She was going to give this everything she had.
0: Willow. We'll hear the rest of Aaron's story in a moment. But first, this story might be bringing up some big feelings for you. Maybe because you've been going through something similar to what Aaron went through. Maybe for other reasons. Regardless, please know that you don't have to go through it alone. One of our sponsors for this episode is a company called BetterHelp. They offer online counseling to clients all over the world. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors with a wide array of specialties, from stress and trauma to LGBT matters and relationships. You can communicate with your therapist via video chat, phone, even text. And right now, BetterHelp has a special deal for listeners of this podcast. For 10% off your first month of counseling, go to betterhelp.com slash outthere. That's betterhelp.com slash outthere. Support for Out There also comes from Ice Lab. Have you ever dreamed of moving to a mountain town? Now is kind of a perfect time to do that. COVID-19 has changed how the world does business, and many people are working remotely. If you are too, why not live in the mountain paradise you've always dreamed of? The Gunnison Valley in Colorado is that perfect place. It's nestled between four spectacular mountain ranges with over 750 miles of biking and hiking trails. Plus, Crested Butte's world-class skiing and an award-winning school system. Imagine waking up in your ultimate destination every morning. No traffic, no crowded trails, no more wishing you lived in the mountains. Work where you play in the Gunnison Valley. To start living your dream, visit Icelab.co. That's Icelab.co. Gunnison Valley, welcome home. And now, back to the story. Erin's first mountain
1: in the Seven Summit attempt was relatively easy. She's a seasoned mountaineer, and Mount Kosciuszko in Australia is less advanced than many of the peaks in Erin's own backyard in Colorado. It did require her to get a new passport issued under her new female name, but things went off without a hitch and Erin flew home feeling good, confident in her skills in the mountains, as much as in her ability to travel comfortably with her new identity. It was now February of 2017. Her next climb was Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. This was a climb she knew she could do because, well, she'd already done it six years previously. The climb held as much intrigue now as it did back then. Mount Kilimanjaro is the world's highest single freestanding mountain. It's an ancient volcano and rises straight out of the wide-open savanna of Tanzania. Climbing it last time had been a triumph, but missing something. Erin, as her true self, had never made it up that mountain. where the risk factors started piling up. Fresh off an expensive divorce and transition, she was looking to book the trip with as few extra costs as safely possible. You're required to hire a local guide to climb Kilimanjaro, and Erin still had the contact information of the guide she had used previously.
2: It was pretty much a no-brainer for me to reach out to that team because they were cheaper, they're local, and um, there's fewer middle people between You know, me and them to work with in order to kind of resolve the logistics of getting me there and getting me up the mountain. Um, And those are
1: all things that I think about as a mountaineer. But what Erin didn't immediately think of was that the guide might ask how she had found him and might recognize her name. Sure enough, he asked. Erin's new name was very similar to her dead name, the name she had had before transitioning. And she knew it wouldn't be safe to tell a Tanzanian guide that she was trans. So, thinking fast, she told him that she was her own cousin. Her guide bought the story and Aaron didn't think much more about it. But then, something happened that shook her confidence. Three days before she was set to leave, back home in Colorado, Aaron took her dog for a walk to pick up some takeout. She tied up her dog while she went inside. I was only in there for a minute
2: or two. I get this call from an angry guy that says, um, I've got your dog. And if you don't get out here, I'm taking your dog to the pound and I'm calling the cops on you. I said, oh God, you know, it was, it was probably, it was, it was free. It was 30 degrees out, but I got this big 70 pound dog who's shaggy and does all my training with me. So I I knew he was, he was good out there while I went in and grabbed my food. But here's this guy that had found my dog with his, all his posse. And he, uh... He's calling me, making an angry call, and I came out, and my dead name was still on my uh, the dog tags, um, and they figured out pretty quickly what was going on, and I, I got assaulted in my own neighborhood, basically, outside of a restaurant with people watching.
1: The incident had certainly started out being about her dog, but by the time it ended, there was no mistaking that it was about her being trans. The thought that just kept racing itself around her head was that if this could happen here, if violent assault could happen here at the taco place in her own neighborhood, what was going to happen when she left for Africa in a few days to go unfurl the trans flag from the highest point on the continent?
2: Tanzania is surrounded by countries that have the death penalty for being gay, um, they don't talk much about being trans, but lesbian and gay folks, um, I have there's, there's big jail sentences, and some of them have um, passed laws where it's a death sentence for for being who you are. And I knew that going to Africa was going to be about hiding who I was. And here, two days before I go to Africa, I have this moment that very much proves to me I don't have to go to Africa to be unsafe I can be unsafe right in my own neighborhood I can get beat up in my own neighborhood it's going to be a lot worse if this goes down the same way when I get to Africa.
1: Erin rallied some of her support system around her and decided that she was still going to make this climb happen. This climb was going to be proof to both herself and the world that this authentic life she was building, the life she'd risked everything for, was worth it. She wasn't about to let a stranger in the street take that away from her. But the risks continued to build. A few days later, to get to Tanzania, Erin flew through the Charlotte, North Carolina airport, where the so-called bathroom bill had just been gaining national media attention. It attempted to ban transgender people from using the bathroom of their presenting identity by positioning trans people as predators to be feared. When she landed at the Tanzanian airport, it would be Erin's first time going through a fingerprint scanner. And because of her new passport, her fingerprints were now associated with two different identities. She had no idea what kind of international alarm bells this might set off. After all, the concept of trans people even being allowed to get a new passport was recent. In the end, Erin made it to Tanzania safely. She went through customs without any trouble and went to look for her guide. Sure enough, I got
2: out there, I grabbed my bags and I turned around and I saw him and he, he, he's, he hasn't changed a bit. His, he, he looks the same, big smile. And he was holding that sign, but this time the sign was in my name. And, um, and he had the whole thing because I had sent him a, a picture of my passport so he had my, my, my new ma- first name, my, my new middle name and it was the same you know I would chosen to stay with my last name because uh, my family was so supportive and there it was on that sign and uh, you know I, I couldn't help it I, I snapped a picture of the sign that he was holding and uh, said, "Let's go, let's do it."
1: The challenges were by no means over, but now at least, they were the same challenges that everyone faces on Kilimanjaro. It rained every day, her tent leaked. She also experienced for the first time what it meant to be truly treated as a woman in an outdoor sport, and found that she was being dismissed and discounted at every turn by her crew. She was told she'd need to have a bodyguard come with them this time for her protection, and that she'd have to pay for the additional person. And then, when she finally got to base camp at 16,500 feet, Erin got food poisoning. But she hadn't made it this far to tap out just before the summit.
2: We left at 10, 10, o'clock at night or 12 midnight, whatever it is. You leave pretty early so you can see the sunrise. And it's all about seeing the sunrise over the savannah and at the highest point in Africa. And um, started climbing and started feeling strong again. And um, I got to the top. And I was on the way up. It was this contemplation for the whole several hours that it takes to get from base camp to the summit. And it was, um, you know, am I going to pull out my trans, my banner? I have a a trans banner that um, it's, it's. Just got the pink and the blue colors and the white, and it's just a logo, but um am I gonna bust that out and 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 let it be seen as the sun comes up and in front of that that wooden sign that's so um so iconic on top of kilimanjaro and you know i I didn't know if I would or I wouldn't because I know that my personal safety is still attached to the fact that I'm not being seen um as a trans traveler, and you know. It's it's kind of counterintuitive because here I am wanting to climb the highest point in Africa and be proud and be seen for who I am and here I can't be proud and seen for who I am because there is some danger in that and showing that flag and that banner could possibly out me.
1: But when she finally got to the summit, her choice became clear
2: you know i i just couldn't contain myself i got to the top of that mountain and the sun was starting to shine and it was just a snowfield um, and we were high above in the you know the, the clouds were covering the the, the savanna and uh, you could look out and just see for so far and i said i'm going to do it uh, you know this is the highest point in africa and i'm going to be proud of who i am and proud of everything that i overcame to got to get here and um, I took out that banner and I said, "I don't care who sees it. That's that's it. I'm taking it out and I'm showing it. I'm only gonna be with this team for another, you know, 24 hours or 48 hours until I'm off this mountain." And I busted out that flag and uh, let those colors fly over uh, Africa, knowing that, um, you know, it wasn't the safest place to do it. And and there it was. <laughs> finished my Kilimanjaro climb um, seven years after climbing it um, kind of in a different lifetime.
1: As far as she could tell, her guide didn't know what the trans flag was and nobody said anything. She had done it. But that didn't mean it was smooth sailing going forward. These challenges and the decisions to hide herself for her own safety were hardly going away with the upcoming climbs. Mount Elbrus, Europe's highest peak, is located in the Caucasus mountains in Russia, where there's historically been violent homophobic sentiment by local communities and little government will to intervene. The World Cup was being held in Russia the year Erin climbed Elbrus, and the first morning Erin woke up in her hotel before her attempt, the U.S. State Department released a statement not only advising travelers against being in the region where Mount Elbrus is located, but also saying that they would not be providing any sort of rescue operations if travelers got into trouble due to diplomatic tensions between the U.S. and Russia. Erin once again found herself in a position of hiding her identity. She didn't tell any of the other climbers on her team that she was trans. She wanted to give them plausible deniability in case something were to happen. She climbed with the trans flag in her bag, but chose not to take it out on the summit. When she reached Europe's highest peak, she made her hands into a capital letter T, a symbol for only her to know the depth of, and left it at that. Her next climb after Elbrus was Mount Aconcagua in South America, which she successfully summited without too much difficulty beyond, well, the usual involved in scaling nearly 23,000 feet. Her attempts of the remaining mountains, Denali in North America, Everest in Asia, and Vincent Massif in Antarctica have all been temporarily postponed or pushed back due to the coronavirus pandemic. But as it stands, she's more than halfway to her goal.
2: when I see climbing to the tops of these mountains, I see it as a place to be seen and to be proud and to stand in places where there's nothing left to cast a shadow on you.
1: Erin knows that she'll probably continue having to make calculations about her safety for the rest of her life. There might always be places where she can't safely share her full story. But whether or not she chooses to wave the trans flag at the summit, when Erin stands at the world's peaks, she does so as herself.
0: The story you just heard was by Natalia Luderman. Natalia was one of Out There's summer production interns. She lives in North Carolina. Before you go, I'd like to offer some resources that you might find helpful if you're grappling with some of the same kinds of issues Erin has faced. First off, the Trans Lifeline offers emotional and financial support to trans people in crisis. It's a hotline for the trans community by the trans community. And they also offer financial assistance for things like legal name changes. Their phone number is 877-565-8860. And you can also find them at translifeline.org. In addition, the Trevor Project offers crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to LGBTQ people under the age of 25. Their phone number is 866-488-7386, and they're online at thetrevorproject.org. A big thank you to Mike Lutters, Doug Frick, Philip Tim, Deb and Vince Garcia, Sam Shapinsky, and Lisa King for their financial support of Out There. Contributions from listeners like you make up more than half of our revenue, and I am constantly humbled by your generosity. If you're not yet a supporter, but you enjoy listening to the show, consider becoming a patron now. You can pledge any amount, even if it's just a dollar or two a month. Every contribution helps us bring you the stories you hear on this show. To become a patron, head to patreon.com slash Podcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Podcast. And finally, I wanted to give you a little sneak peek into what's next for Erin Parisi. When she's completed her Seven Summit bid, Erin has said that she mostly wants to just go back to normal life. This was never about being famous for her. But she has now started an organization called Transcending 7, which she hopes will open the door for more trans athletes to break barriers and set records in the outdoor world.
2: You know, I, I view it as kind of an anthology. I want to know and I want to see a trans person do, you know, there's there's nothing in the world um, There's no part of the world's narrative that I don't think a trans person could meet. I think that a trans, especially in the outdoor world, I think, you know, I want to see a trans person sail around the world. I want to see a trans person do, you know, climb, trek to the North Pole, trek to the South Pole. I want to see these accomplishments and the trailhead become a safer, more accessible place for trans people. And to that end,
0: I'll be speaking for Transcending for a long time. To learn more about Transcending 7, go to transcending7.org. We have a link to it at our website as well, outtherepodcast.com. That's it for this episode. Our strategic advisor is Alex King. Our audience growth director is Sheba Joseph. Jessica Taylor is our advertising manager. Our interns are Natalia Luterman and Margaret Warner, Stephanie Maltrich, and Kara Schaefer. Our ambassadors are Ashley White, Tiffany Duong, and Stacia Bennett. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you in two weeks. And in the meantime, go vote and have a happy Halloween.